got an exciting day planned. We're continuing the book of Exodus that we've been working through. This whole series has been called The Great Escape, and uh, it's just really been phenomenal for us. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter number 18, but just give a little bit of a catch-up on where we were last week. Last week in our message titled, The Lord is My Banner, the Israelites had their first opportunity to face an adversary which appeared in the form of an Amalek army. Through this conflict, we saw Joshua, which by chance, the name Hebrew, the Hebrew name Joshua actually translates to Jesus. We saw Jesus or Joshua leading them while Moses was praying from the hilltop on their behalf. It was the combination of their obedience to fight as they followed Joshua and their trusting in God's power that brought them the victory. As we face the many challenges of life, we saw how that is the very same strategy that we should employ in our lives as we fight temptation, sin, and spiritual attacks. This week, we're going to shift from confrontation to celebration, which is in our message today, which is called Rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. And Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity you've given me uh, to share the word of God. Lord, I know that you have spoken to me throughout the week. I've been praying and begging for you too. And you have spoken to me. And I ask God, Lord, that you would ask uh, that now would you speak through me. Lord, that I might share the very truth that you have laid upon my heart. God, pray that it not be from man. Uh, Lord, that the element of humanity be removed from this message. And Lord, that we hear from you. God, I beg you, I do a mighty work, and Lord, help us to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to pick up our story. I remember they faced the army of Amalek, okay? Um, and now what's happened is they've actually encamped now right near Mount Sinai. They're at the base of the mountain. Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12. We're going to start in verse 1. Uh, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, okay? So a little bit of backstory to give you an idea who Jethro is, okay? Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. What happened to Moses? There was a time period when he was about 40 years old. He went and addressed a, 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 one of the slaves who was being beaten, who was one of his brethren. He actually ended up killing the Egyptian, and he escaped Egypt for fear of his life, and he found himself in a place called Midian. And in Midian, he met a, met a guy named Jethro, and he worked for Jethro, ended up marrying his daughter, having a couple of kids, and he actually became a herdsman or a shepherd in that land in Midian for about 40 years. So he left and went back, and now he's brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and now the story and the word's gotten out, and uh, all the way back to Midian, and Jethro's, man, we got to go see what's going on with all these great, wonderful things that we've heard, okay? So not only has it been known that, that God delivered Egypt, it's also known that Moses was used in delivering Egypt, okay? So this visit's going to be a matter of celebration, a matter of celebration. Verse number two, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Now, we know that when we, when we were in our message, which is back in Exodus 4, way back, um, that was a message called Steps of Faith. And we saw in that message where Moses was actually traveling with his family, stopped at an inn, had a confrontation with God in that instance because he was actually in sin. And in that confrontation, Moses ends up sending his family back to Jethro. So he went forward and he and his brother Aaron were the ones that went to Egypt. Verse 3, And her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, uh, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. The name Gershom translate, uh, translates as a foreigner, a foreigner in a strange land, okay? And what's interesting about that, when we think about it, this name actually gives us an idea or an indication of kind of where Moses was in his life. There was a point in time when Moses, when he left Egypt, because in Egypt, guess what? 
He was a stranger in a strange land. He was not an Egyptian. He was an Israelite, yet he's living in this Egyptian culture. Then he leaves there and he goes to Midian. And again, he's not a Midianite. So guess what? He's another, again, he's a stranger in a strange land. He's dealing with this sense of having no place that he belongs. And it's not going to be until God reunites him with the Israelites that he's going to actually find where his home is to be. And there are people in our culture today that feel like they're outsiders. There are people that feel like they don't have a home. And you know what? And it's okay. If that's where you are, if you go, look, I don't really fit in as much as other folks do. Well, you know, we weren't created to fit into this world. <laughs> this is not where we're intended to be. God created us for another world altogether. And that mindset of being an outsider, guess what? It's okay. Because you know what? Humanity was created to be in fellowship with God. But because of sin, that fellowship has been broken. We looked at that back in the book in the Romans in, verse, in chapter 5, 5, 12. It talked about the fact that through one man sin entered into the world. And through all through that, all men all men entered into what was called death, a spiritual death, meaning separation from God. So sin is one of those things that now our world is dealing with. It's something that every single person deals with. And see, it's our job, it's our job as Christians to introduce this sin-sick world to their Savior, the Savior of the world. John 1.29 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming in unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He came to pay for every single sin on the planet that will ever happen and will that has ever happened and will ever happen. And through that relationship, what's beautiful about that? The fellowship that was broken with God because we were created to have that fellowship with God, that creation now through Christ allows that fellowship to be restored and finds allows people to actually find their real home. Right? Because if you're here and you're caught up in sin, you're going to search this world for your home. And guess what? You're never really going to fit in. You're never going to feel complete in this place. You're never going to feel like there's not a void in your heart. There was a young man that got saved a few weeks ago. And he said, you know what? I've been praying and praying and praying because I felt like there was something missing in my life. And he said, literally, right before I came here, a few days, I was in my, I was in my apartment on my knees. And I was meditating. And I was like, God, you know what? Let me just get away this feeling, this feeling that I feel like I'm missing something. And he said, nothing fitted. But now, having received Christ, it's finally gone. We're all born for that. We're born with this piece of the puzzle that's missing, and it's Jesus Christ. And no matter what you jam in there, it will never, ever fit. He is the perfect fit. Philippians 3.20 says this, For our conversation is in heaven, and whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, our real home is not here. Our real home is in heaven. God is saying, look, you were created for an eternity Yet you're stuck in this temporal world and you're trying to find a way to fit into it, but you don't. Hebrews 13, 14 says this. It says, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. A continuing city means that there's no place eternal on this planet. None of these things are going to last, but there is an eternal home that is coming. That's where we've got to put our focus. We should not ground our identity or our worth in this temporary world. For we intended for an eternal citizenship in heaven as children of God. See, and that's God's desire for every single person. He's not picking and choosing those that are deserving and those that are not. Because guess what? None of us are deserving. We all deal with the exact same problem. We are fleshly beings. And because we live in our flesh, we make choices that divide us from God. And that division is not God's fault. It's our fault. But yet through that division, God still has a desire that we have that relationship with him. 1 Timothy 2, 4, and 5 says this. 
who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not an idol, not Mary, not a priest, not a monk, nobody. There is one and only one. The mediator is Christ Jesus. The religion has created all kinds of intermediaries between us and God, and it's a lie straight out of hell because it's a division trying to separate us from him. When Christ died on the cross, it talks about the veil being torn. The veil was the separation between us and God, and Christ became the one mediator so we can have that relationship with him. Once we accept our identity as Christians and live it, guess what we do? We find our true home. We start finding this sense of I belong, man. This is, this is my home. It's like when you go on a trip, right? You may go stay with some friends and you're like, man, I feel comfortable. But it isn't like, you know, you're not sitting in your underwear eating Cheetos and got crumbs all over your belly, right? But at home you will, right? You're like, oh, no, I got some on my belly button. Hold on. Mm. That was gross. Sorry. But we're so comfortable at home, right? Right? We're so comfortable because that's just where we fit in. And guess what? There's a place where we fit in that we will never fit here like we will in heaven. That relationship with God is what we're talking about. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this. It says, If ye be then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Right? The Lord here, right? The Lord is telling us, hey, you know what? Find that place. Find that place. And there's a burden in his heart through that name Gershom. He's looking for that place to fit in. And if that's where you are, guess what? I can tell you where you will fit in. It is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that leads us to the second name. He has two sons, okay? Verse number four. And the name of the other was Eliezer, okay? For the God of my father, and he said and he, and said he, was, said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Eliezer actually translates as God, as God of help. A God of help. So Eleazar points to a totally different mindset, right? It points to a confidence that Moses has in his relationship with God. It, fo it, fo it, it focuses on the fact that he sees God's power and God's faithfulness, right? It's a turn in Moses' walk, right? And so we look at this in Hebrews 11. It says the faith, uh, it talks about the faith of, our Lord, of, of Moses, Moses is an example of faith to believers, but Moses was not always this guy that was being used greatly by God. There was a time in his life when he had issues and problems. Guess what? We do too. There's a time in his life where he had to be developed and built by God. So through the names of Moses' sons, we see a glimpse of really two different seasons of his life. One emotional and one spiritual, okay? There was a time, right, when he trusted in his circumstances, being scared, and feeling alone and separated, right? Trusting in circumstances and trusting then in himself, he felt lonely and broken. But then there change and happened in him. So what happens is he goes trusting to God instead of his circumstances, and then he finds safety and he finds belonging, right? And see, that should be the testimony of every one of us. If you're a born-again believer and you go, look, I just don't have any kind of peace. I don't have any kind of security. I don't feel like, like I have anything going on in life. You need to check your walk with God. Because, you know, can you still be saved and feel like that? Yes, because the devil can throw a whole lot of stuff into your life to confuse and distract you from him. But he cannot take your salvation. And the good thing about God is the fact that he's always there waiting on us. He's waiting to restore the relationship. Because, you know what, you and I can create division between him because of sin. God cannot have fellowship with sin. And as Christians, sometimes we do things that we should not do. And it's like a relationship with a parent, right? When we do the right thing, man, you know, we go like, man, you want to go eat some ice cream? Yeah. But, you know, like if your mom says, hey, go clean your room, and you go, I don't want to clean my room. Honey, go clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. 
honey, I said, go clean your room. I'll go in my room. Oh, yeah, I'll go in my room, all right. We throw stuff all over the place. They hear huge things bashing and smashing. And then you come out and you go, slam the door. Well, let's go get some ice cream. What's mom going to say? <laughs> honey, you ain't getting no ice cream. You're lucky if you're able to walk when we get done, right? <laughs> So the reality is we want to live in disobedience and yet have God bless us. And God's saying, hey, that's not the way it works. I'm asking you to learn how to walk with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18 says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things, of God, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. That's reconciliation, bringing us back to him by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of of reconciliation. Not only has he restored us back to him, but then he's given us the ministry to go out and share the truth with someone else. Not as a judge, not as, a, not as an angry uh, combatant, but as a loving friend, right? Jesus built a cross, built a bridge out of two pieces of wood to the lost world. And you and I are supposed to build a bridge to people. It won't be through anger and judgment. It will be through love. It'll be through love. I can love anyone. I don't care what their sin is. I can love the sinner, and I can hate the sin. But my job is to reach out to them and to tell them there's an option. There's, a, there's another way out, right? So we think about this as we pass from death unto life, as we went from depending upon ourselves to depending upon God, and as we went from hopeless and lost to hope-filled and saved. Romans 15, 13 says this, Now the God of hope will, will fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So as we live our faith, God, people witness it, right? And they witness us living our faith. Guess what? Then we really start to make an impression and start to make a difference for the Lord. God's desire is to use these lives. He didn't give them to us to see what we could get out of it for ourselves. You and I were created for a purpose that would be to bring glory to God's name. Glory to God's name, not our name. Verse 5. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses unto the, into the wilderness where he encamped at the Mount of God. So Jethro and, Moses and, uh, Jethro and Moses' family have now traveled a good distance, and they've come and they've met Moses. And they arrive here, it says the Mount of God. We know that to be Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is significant for many of us may realize the fact that that's where God's going to give the Ten Commandments, right? And that's going to be in chapter 20. We're heading that direction, okay? Verse 6. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law, Jethro, am come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. Okay, so this is a, a very kind of a formal greeting, right? And this would be sort of customary in that time and in with these people. But what's interesting about this is we pay attention to it, and we're going to see this, uh, this greeting is also for kind of a, for the sake of the Israelites, as much, not so much for maybe Moses. Because realize they've just been ambushed by an army, and they don't know who Jethro is. None of the Israelites know who Jethro is. And nobody knows who his family is. So these folks just come walking up on them. He's probably going, hey, 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 Moses, it's your father-in-law and your wife and kids, you know, just so you know, we don't want to get killed, right? So now they walk up. Now we have this, this greeting taking place. And look at verse number seven. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they came, and they came into the tent. Obeisance means that he bowed down to him, right? He reverenced him. Now, there would be two reasons for this reverence. First of all, it's his father-in-law. That's a familial respect. But also because, guess what? Midian, he was a, that Jethro was a priest of Midian. He had a role that was a man of God. So we see him bending down to him. We see humility in Moses, right? Humility in Moses. Because think about this. 
Moses is being used like no man, no one's seen before. I mean, Moses is literally talking to God one-on-one. -on -one. God's doing unbelievable miracles. And Moses is, I mean, he's the guy doing all these things through God's working through him. But we notice that he comes out not going, you know, do you realize who I am, Jethro? Do you realize all that I've accomplished since I was at your, at your house? Do you realize, man, partner of the Red Sea, hello, was me. No, he's got a humble attitude. And here he is bowing down to this man. This humility is how God's is why God's been able to use him. So as we're aware, there's not always the case with him. Moses was not always a humble man. There were times where experiences and, 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 and uh, circumstances had to bring Moses down a couple of notches, had to humble him. And once God brought him down, then he could build him back up, right? And there are probably some of us in this room that can attest that, you know what, there's been time in our lives when God needed to bring us down a couple of pegs so that he could bring us back up, going in the right direction. Because unfortunately, we get established in what we want. We have our desires, and we have our intentions of the future, and God says, you don't understand. It's not about what you want. It's about what I want, right? And that's what you need to have, be thinking when you're doing this. Because it's a matter of, so many of us think, you know, we've got everything under control. I got all, life got, I got it all. I don't really need God. But see, when life comes along and smacks you square in the face, I mean, square in the face, when you see stars kind of thing, you go, man, you know what? I might need a little bit of help. And so many of us, it took those humiliating moments or those moments of, uh, to drop down to our knees and say, you know what, God? I can't do this. I need you. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and unto the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that they had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. This is really, really cool. So we're going to examine this verse and look at it really close. So as Moses recounts this deliverance of the Israelites, right, I want you to notice in this thing as he tells him, look who the hero is of the story, right? It's not Moses, but it's the Lord who gets the credit. And this is important because I'm afraid if you and I were in Moses' sandals, the message might have come out a little bit different, right? We've just experienced all these things, right? I'm afraid it might sound like this. Well, you see, Jethro, when God told me to go back to Egypt, even though, I mean, <laughs> I knew it was extremely dangerous, man, I just trusted God and I just went, man. And when I went before Pharaoh, you know, to confront him, I mean, I was scared, but I did it. And when God told me to call the plagues upon the nation, man, I would warn Pharaoh, and then, man, I would, I would call them down. You should have seen it, man. You should have seen it. I had my rod in my hand. I went out, and I held it out of the water, and it turned to blood. Unbelievable. Or when, man, we gathered up the dust and threw it in the air, and it became lice. Something just right in my, I mean, just my hands. I just threw it up, and boom, lice. Crazy. When the Egyptian army, man, they were behind us. They're like roaring up on us, man. It's like, whoo, you can hear it. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's scared. And I said, hey, 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 y'all just chill out. It's all going to be good. And I walked out, and man, I held that rod. And I held my rod out there. And it was just like, boom, the water just stood up. You should have been there. It was unbelievable, man. I just like, whoa. I could feel the breeze and the mist blowing out. It was unbelievable, right? Because of our desire, right, for recognition, we struggle. And the stories many times that we share when God does something great, Somehow we always end up be, be at, at the very least being a co-star of the story, right? There's a sense of wanting to be important that you and I have to fight. I do too, right? We want to post on Facebook. God does something great. We're like, man, look what God did at my church. Look what happened, what, it, how I, what I got to see. But remember, this story is not about Moses. 
Yeah, Moses was there, but it's God who gets the glory. Moses knows that, and so does Jethro. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus' instructions to us are very clear in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, right? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. God is to get the glory, not you. No matter what or how God chooses to use us, he deserves all the credit. See, it's the trap of recognition that derails so many saints of God who started out with the right heart only to be corrupted by fame. Right? They start thinking they're something special. Next thing you know, they're too important to talk to folks before the church. Or they're too important to have one-on-one -on -one counseling. I've heard about stories about preachers that have green rooms where they have security, where they go from a green room and they preach, perform, and then they go back to their green room and no one can even talk to them. What is the purpose? How can you shepherd people that you do not know, right? The celebrity status becomes intoxicating and they start thinking that it's them instead of God. And what you and I have seen over the years is inevitably for a majority of these celebrity Christians is they crash and burn. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride, pride, pride. Let's look at the back half of this verse. And it says, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. Okay. Now Moses gives an assessment of all the challenges and the failures that they've experienced in the wilderness. And God was with them through it all. He brought them through every bit of it. Again, we see that Moses gives all credit to God and delivering them out of the trials. He takes no credit for himself. Moses has become a humble servant of God. And for that reason, he can be used mightily. For most of us, guess what? Our pride is our greatest weakness. And we mean, I'm not prideful. I'm not prideful. We are all prideful at some point. We all think a lot of ourselves. We really, really do. And you go, no, I don't have that. I don't have that. And the same example I've given you a bazillion times. If we took a picture and all of us got in the picture, who would be the very first person you would look for? Yourself. As long as I look good, I'm cool with the picture. <laughs> right? Well, dude, my eyes are shut. Can we take it again? Can we take it? Can we take it again? My eyes, dude, can you? I got, what the, what, look a little good on my face. Can we, can we all get together and take the picture again? For my sake, right? Don't we think that? It's crazy. That's who we are. That's who we are. So what happens is many times you think, you know what? I know God did great work, but you know, I was obedient. I, I know God did something wonderful. Man, you should have seen it. It was amazing. I was right there. I was right there. Proverbs 11:2 says this. When pride cometh and cometh, then cometh shame. But the lowly, the humble, is wisdom. On 1 John 2.16, says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So pride and lust are of the world. They're not of God. They're traits that God doesn't want to have in us. The word pride shows up 46 times in the Bible, and every, six time, every single time it shows up, it's a negative connotation again and again and again and again and again. What we need to understand is the fact that everything, when things go badly, it's on us. And when things go well... Guess what? It's on God. God gets the credit for when things go good. Bottom line is, if God's given you any talents, abilities, and skills, and you use them, and something great happens, it's because he gave them to you, not because you're something special. The more humble we can be, the greater God can use us. James 1, 14 through 17 says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
Do not err, my beloved brethren. This is written to Christians. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God's not going to change. He says, look, everything that's good in this world comes from Him. Remember to give God credit for what He's doing in your life. Every positive thing is linked to Him. Verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel when he had delivered him out of the hand of the Egyptians. Like Moses, Jethro properly gives all credit to God. He rejoices and celebrates God's goodness and provision. See, when we hear this, right, we think, man, I do that. I, I do that. I give God glory. I give God credit. But do we really? I want you to right now, this is an, op this is an opportunity for personal evaluation. We're going to look within ourselves. How often do we take time to rejoice over our salvation? Today is my spiritual birthday. Christy and I, 18 years ago, received Christ. And you know what? Today I'm going to celebrate it. And I am celebrating it. But you know what? I try to celebrate it every day. Remember where we come from, right? If you remember where you came from, you'll many times forget, right? And you can return back into that old lifestyle. God took me from who I was and changed me into who I am today. And I give him all the glory. It was not us. It was the very problems of my life that brought him to where we needed to be and how he made the changes. How often do we step back and rejoice over the fact that we have the Bible in our language and legally available for us to use? Amen. Right? There are countries that you cannot have a Bible. And if they catch you with a Bible, they can take the Bible and throw you in jail or they can kill you. Kill you for possession of the Bible. The Dark Ages that experienced years and years and years ago, the Dark Ages was all about taking the Bible out of the hands of the common man. And guess what? Millions and millions and millions and millions of Christians were burned and killed because they were trying to share the truth of the Word of God. And their only, their only crime was wanting to keep this book in their own hands. And it was forcibly taken from them by a very big church that still exists today. How often do we honestly stop and rejoice because of God's provisions in our lives? How many of us just take for granted all the things that we have? We get up in the morning and we have a meal and we put on our clothes and we, we go to our work and we spend time with our friends and we have a family that's there for us. We have a roof over our head. We have all this provision and yet we just think we deserve it, right? God is trying to, we're trying to have the perspective of God to realize the fact that he's blessed us, right? Clothing to wear, a car to drive, food to eat, strength to stand. When you see somebody who cannot walk, man, do we go, man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I have the strength to stand because I know they would do anything to have it, to have one strong leg. You see who's an, who's an amputee, and you go, man, you know what? I bet they would pay any amount of money to get their leg back, but you can't. And we have two perfectly good legs, and we're not even grateful for them. We just take it all for granted because you know what? I deserve it because I'm something special. Pride, pride, pride. We live in America. Say what you want about America, but this is the greatest country in the world. All these people are fighting to get here because guess what? With all of our problems, this is still the greatest country in the world to live in. And yet people are living here and they do not appreciate it. They want to kneel at the, at the, at the flag. They want to, uh, to, 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 to betray people in this nation that have gone out and literally risked their lives or given their lives for the sake of that flag. Unappreciative because they have no sense of value for what God's done for them. And could you and I, if we think about it, could you and I be called ungrateful? I think at times we could. I know I sure could, right? So many times we deal with issues in our lives, and instead of listing all the things that God's done for us, instead of thinking about, man, look how God has blessed me. Look at all that I have in my life. 
Unfortunately, the main thing or the headline of our story is all that we don't have. I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this. And we're great at realizing what we don't have and talking about it with folks instead of talking about what we do have. And God says, just take a minute and assess all that you truly do have. It's verse 17 said, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above the Father of lights, with whom there is no variable, there is a shadow of turning. Jethro understands this very concept, and he's singing God's praises. Verse 10, and Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. All glory goes to God. He's like, man, look at what God did. At no point do we see him congratulating Moses. He's not going, wow, Moses, way to go, buddy. And that's one of the greatest gifts he could possibly give Moses. Because of our affinity to go into our pride, when somebody starts slapping you on the back and telling you how great you are, part of you goes, well, maybe I am a little bit great. It's <laughs> a good point. I hadn't even really thought about that, but you know what? Maybe I did. Well, that was, wow, I'm pretty something special. And what he does, he gives him this amazing gift by allowing him to stay humble, realizing the fact that the solutions came from God and not from him. I mean, if, give you an idea. If, if you come to Christine or I and you get counsel, right? If we give you counsel, it's only because God has directed us into his word to give you the very knowledge that we can share with you. Our desire is only to be a conduit of God. Or perhaps this may be an experience that we went through, but God allowed that experience to take place so that we would have a foundation to know how to share with you a little bit of guidance on how to move forward. But the thanks doesn't come to us. People, you know, we, we lead people to Christ and they go, thank you so much. It's like, man, you know what? Dude, if it was up to me, You'd still be going to hell. I can't do anything for you. All I did was point to the truth that God has done these things. He deserves the glory. This day is about him, not about us. And what happens is the devil wants us to constantly focus on ourselves, constantly focus upon how important we are, constantly focus on what we can do to gain recognition for ourselves, and it's destructive because it divides us from God. God's saying, be humble before me. Be humble before me. Be humble before me. He's working in us. He's working in our church. He's working in our lives as a whole. The whole thing is we've got to remember in the midst of all of the things that God's doing to be thankful. <laughs> think about it. How many of us are thankful for tough times? That takes a real sense of maturity. Paul said, I glory in my tribulations of the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I celebrate when the hard times come. Woohoo! Not many of us celebrate hard times, but if you realize what God was doing and he could give you a little bit of a perspective and show you in the future, I'm doing this because one day that experience that right now you hate is going to be the most valuable tool that I'll ever give you in ministry. And it's going to allow you to touch this person's life that you've not met yet. But when they cross your path, this experience will be the only thing that will allow you to connect to them. This is something awesome. Celebrate it now. That's tough. But if you have faith and you walk by faith and not by sight, it allows you to do that, glory in that tribulation. The way we learn to be humble and reverence God for our blessings by keeping God's perspective proper in our minds, right? Jethro is exalting God. He keeps pointing them to who God is. He said, hey, this all glory goes to God. God deserves all of our reverence and all of our honor. There's a, Isaiah 6, okay? Isaiah was a great prophet of God. In Isaiah 6, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah's backstory, to give you a little bit of an idea, Isaiah was kind of like the golden boy, okay? He was like the king's favorite. And he was like, man, Isaiah, you are the man. And if Isaiah said it, man, it was like, boom, that was law. And what happened was he got so full of himself, Isaiah started thinking, you know what, I'm something special, man. Look how great I am. Well, guess what? It says here, 
in the year that King Uzziah died. Well, the king that used to think he was all that is gone, and there's a new king. Guess what? He don't think so much about Isaiah. And Isaiah's going through a little identity crisis. And what happens is God gives him a vision, and it says here, and he says, And I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. God allows him to see God in his proper perspective, and he realizes how humble he is in front of God, where he thought he was something special. Verse 5, he said this, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And you're in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I was willing to live with these folks. I didn't have any issue. I thought I was something special. But you know what? I'm not worthy. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah goes from thinking he's something special to going, you know what? I'm not even deserving to even look at him. He's high and lifted up as he should be in our hearts. And we put God down like he's a man. Yes. And we forget about our reverence to God. And we forget about the fact that we need to be accountable to God. We just think we can play it off. And God's saying, look, remember who I am. I created everything. I created you. And I love you in the midst of all this garbage that you're dealing with and all the things that are trying to distract you. I love you still. It's about learning to love him for who he is, not for who we think he is. Because we get a perception of God that's not accurate. We get it from religion. We get it from perceptions of other people. But look at what the Bible talks about. He's a God of love, a God of power, a God who wants to do something great in our lives and use our lives for something so much more wonderful than we can possibly imagine. Verse 12, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. They had a celebration, man. They're like, let's, let's celebrate God's goodness. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation, when it says moderation, it means your humility and your reverence to God. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all, passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Guess what? Living in victory is a choice. He says, think on these things, which means he's trying to tell him, look, don't think on other things. Don't get off track. Don't lose sight of what's important. Focus on these aspects of who you are. I'm not saying that life's not going to be hard because it is. There are times when life can be almost unbearable. And we become overwhelmed and just so beaten down in the midst of this. But you got to remember, no matter what life throws at you, no matter what the devil tries to do to destroy us, no matter what is thrown our way, and what distractions are used to draw us away from God, in the midst of every of those everyone's circumstances, and no matter how desperate we may feel, in every one of those situations, God is in our corner, right? He's in our corner. And we think about that phrase, he's in our corner. And what it makes me think of, which is really crazy, my wife's grandmother, we call her great-grand. She was from China, straight 100% Chinese, and she was about four feet tall, right? She's like, we, she's like Yoda, right? <laughs> and I'd always be like, great-grand, you're growing. And she's like, stop it, right? But what's interesting about great-grand is you know what she really, really loved? Wrestling. It's bizarre. She used to watch WWE, man. She loved it. 
She'd be like, oh, that Blackjack Mulligan, he's got problems. And, and she's like, oh, well, the Wawa McDaniel, if you're old, you remember who these guys are. She'd talk about the wrestlers, right? And I remember sitting, when you sit and watch wrestling, there's something that stands out in wrestling. They're always in a team, right? And there's one that's in the midst of the fight, and when he finds himself beaten down, and he just can't do any more of that whatever, he can reach back and tag, right? And that guy in the corner is like this, dude, just come on. Just reach out right here, man. Reach out. Just tag me, man. Just tag me. Right? God's in our corner. God's in our corner. Our problem is we're in the middle of the fight and we forget he's there. And we're just getting our butt worn out. We lay there on the ground and we're like, oh. And God said, hey, did you notice I'm over here? I'm reaching. If you just tag me. If you just tag me. It's amazing. We want to fight the fight, and yet God says, you know what? I'll fight for you. So when the devil lies and whispers in our ears, right, the cool thing is, with the knowledge that God's in our corner, I can smile because I know something he doesn't know. You know what I'm getting ready to do? I'm getting ready to tag out. And I'm going on the other side of the ring. The Lord's going to come in here. He's going to fight for me. Unfortunately, we live defeated. We live like we don't have a partner. But the whole time, he's reaching out, begging us to tag. Begging us. Cast your cares upon me, for I, I careth for you. I love you. We love him because he first loved us. And he reaches and reaches and reaches. And all it takes is this, and it's no longer on us. It's on him. So with the love of God in our hearts, right, a remembrance of who he is, and recognize the blessings that we received in this life, what if we could rejoice in the Lord? No matter what's going on, no matter what we face, if we know that God's in our corner and he has the power to bring us through, why not rejoice? Because it's a choice. I can live in defeat, and God will let me. Because he's not going to come in the ring. He's going to reach out to me. But when I choose to reach out, I can be delivered. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for blessing us with the message about the truth. And Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of Jethro, Lord, who keeps pointing everyone to you. You are the solution. Thank you, God, that you are there for us. Thank you, Lord, for those that have called upon you to receive you as their Savior. God, you are their children, and you will do anything, go to any lengths to reach and touch their lives, and I thank you for that. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't have that relationship. I want God in my life, but I don't know that I'm his, because you've got to be partnered with God through salvation. If you're in that ring and you don't have Christ, guess what? There's no one in your corner. He's calling out to you, but he's not there for you yet. You need to establish a relationship with him. That relationship is by faith. For the Bible says, for by grace he is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says that God is reaching out to every single one of us. When Jesus was on the cross, when he was dying and taking his last breath, he envisioned people, every single person in the world, and he saw you. And he loved you right where you were, and he died for your sins. And all you have to do is be willing to reach out and receive that gift.
It's not a matter of a magic prayer. It's not a matter of a church. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's about you and him. He created you for that fellowship. And all we're trying to do is give you an opportunity to restore it back to him. He gave us away through the cross. He died for the sins of the world, and he's willing to die for yours that separate you from him now. If you're online, if you're in the overflow room, wherever you are, you have an opportunity right now. I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Again, it's not the words. It's your heart God's listening to. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the, on the heart. So if in your heart of hearts you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words, but if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, we can do that right now and establish a relationship that will never be broken. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and your heart and mind, repeat after me, talking to God. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I feel your love for me. I feel you reaching out to me. And in my brokenness, I want a relationship with you. I'm sorry that it's been broken, but through your death, your burial, and your resurrection, I want it to be restored. By faith, I'm asking you to come into my heart, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.